Well, trusting people, trusting people is not something that comes that easy to a lot of us, does it? Probably even most of us. It can even be hard, no matter how much lip service you want to give to it as a Christian, it can even be hard to trust God. That can be a real challenge for us in certain circumstances. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and there's always people that come to join us or watch us online that are not, and they contact us during the week, or they'll contact, they'll hear, us on, hear me on the radio or something like that and contact uh, us. We're glad that you're joining us. And Jesus and the apostles taught that the way to get to heaven, the way to have all of your sins forgiven, and to get to heaven was to turn from your sin to God to no longer put your trust in yourself, no longer thinking, well, I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven, but to put your trust in Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, instead of yourself, and that he died or took the punishment for your sins. And it's really a simple declaration of faith and trust in Jesus that I've transferred my trust from myself to Jesus. So if I were to die... And today, I'm going to die eventually, but if I were to die and get to heaven and they said, well, why should we let you in? And I, my answer will be because I've trusted in the life of another. While trusting uh, Jesus for forgiveness of sins and eternal life is true, for followers of Jesus, trusting the Lord with daily life is often a struggle. So for some reason, it, it seems to make all the sense in the world to a lot of us to trust God for eternal life. But today's a little bit of a different story, and I think it's one that we all hope that we're improving at. If you're a follower of Jesus, you want to get better and better at this, don't you? You don't want to get worse at trusting Jesus. Well, over 2,000 years before Jesus lived, so which means over 4,000 years ago, that's what Abraham was learning, and today he really comes to a place where I think God wants all of us to come. He's often known as the father of the faith, and he's been learning all along, and he's learned what the title of our message is, learning to fully trust the God who provides. And it, it's a process, but sometimes God uses his word in hyperdrive, and I hope he does today, for a lot of us to get us to trust. Genesis 22 is regarded as one of the most challenging messages in the Word of God. I remember several years back reading a poll, and it said, what were the 10 most challenging uh, Bible passages in the Bible? And this passage was in them. It wasn't near the top of the list, but still, if you're in the top 10, you're, you, there's something going on here. And I know when we read it, and I just read the first two verses, when we read it, we're just like, what? You, you want Abraham to kill his son? And this is where sometimes when the Bible passages are tough and we just read it, we kind of don't get it. Interesting, do you know the Scripture tells us to meditate on the Word and to really to mull it over, to, to keep thinking it over, and what is God trying to say to us? Abraham and Sarah had waited many, many long years to have a son that God promised them, and then they finally had one. Abraham was 100, and Sarah was 90. 
So those of you who've had kids, what, what does that do to you thinking like, like ladies having a baby at 90? <laughs> and uh, ni- you know, 90's the new 40, Sarah. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, God, whatever you say. So, so Isaac was the miracle child. And he, and he was born. And God promised that there would be a great nation that would come through Isaac. And here, in Genesis 22, that promise is challenged. And that great nation looks like it is in danger. And, and as we'll see, it's a test. And, and the Lord tests all of us, not tempts, he tests all of us to help us grow in our faith. He wants us to grow in maturity. He wants to produce a depth of faithfulness in each and every one of us. And then a lot of these tests that other people go through are recorded in the scriptures so we can see how they reacted to them. So sometimes we see the test and we go, yeah, not good. Definitely do not do that. And other times we go, wow. I'm not there yet, Lord. Sorry. Uh, I'll I'll determine that I'll try to get there, but I'm certainly going to need your help. And this test for Abraham comes absolutely out of nowhere. And that oftentimes, sometimes we know the tests are coming, but a lot of times the tests that God gives us do come out of nowhere. And we have to ask ourselves, how ready are we for those tests? And we'll see how ready Abraham is now after we've seen He does good, and then he fails. He does good, and then he fails. He does good, and then he fails. How is he going to do now? So let's jump in. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. Now it came to pass, after these things, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. All of a sudden, you're like, like, oh, there there he is. God's calling to me. Great. And and he said, here I am. Then he said, and notice it, it. It's divided up really into three different ways for emphasis here. Then he said, take now your son. Just stop right there. If there's a pause right there, you're like, great. Outdoor activities. Here we go, man. It's going to be fun. going to be fun. Your only son, Isaac. Now, he did have another son named Ishmael who left last week, but, but that was the son born of not of the promise. So take now your son, your only son, and number three, whom you love... And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there. Now, what kind of an offer is that? Like, is that a job offer? Is that a, you know, what's that going to be? Offer him there as a burnt offering. What? That's what the pagans do. They they burn their kids. They sacrifice their kids. That's not what God, that's not what we do. That's not what we do. And we know that he's a young man at this point. And so offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So this is kind of like when he first started out, remember? God said, just just go to some place. You know, I'll show you where. Now he's like, just just start walking over that way. And I'll show you where. But I'm going to tell you what you're going to do when you get there. You're You're going to offer your son to me as a burnt offering. Now, let's just back up for a second. It says in verse 1, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. We know it's a test. He doesn't know. Don't tell him. 
we, we know it's a test. And you know God's test what they do, don't you? They show us what we're really like. Do you ever look on the ingredients of something that it says all natural and you realize this is not all natural at all? This is like 10% natural. So God is going to really show us what we are like with these tests. Abraham doesn't know it's a test, but this is very real to him. Now, a lot of skeptics comment on the cruelty of God here, but in reality, if you want to take that position, you're actually making the position that the Bible is true. You say, how so? Well, if the Bible writer, who we presume to be Moses, wanted God to look good, would you put this in? You, you would hardly put it in that God said, hey, go kill your kid. That, that doesn't make God look good at all. Again, the local pagans, the Canaanites, they sacrificed people. They sacrificed babies. God was very clear that he was 100% against it. This is one of the many reasons why Christians are pro-life. Now, some of you would think, okay, this is why I don't read the Bible, Pastor Jim. You, you say, don't read it, meditate on it. The more I read this over and over again, the more I'm confused by this. And so Abraham, this is another one of those times where he is, again, the name of our series, he's venturing into the unknown to a land that God would show him with not a lot of details, not a lot of specific instructions. Mainly, he says, I want you to have faith and trust in me. So after all those years of being promised the blessing, 25 plus years of being promised the blessing of a son, now he's called to go and put to death the promised beloved son. Now, let's, let's again put ourselves in the place of each character. That is beyond the point of human reasoning. It really is, isn't it? I mean, all those years, you've got to just, just, just oh, well, he's in the Bible. He, you know, trouble doesn't affect him, really. He's human, just like the rest of us. That is beyond human reason. Now, I don't think he did, but this is beyond God's promise, but I don't think he did. But how do you tell your wife? You know, it's one of those things when, you know, God tells you. you know, I told Pam, I thought God wanted me to sell the business, and it was a Saturday morning, I remember it well, and she was reading her Bible and kind of went up and talked to her. She looked at me like, you're kind of bothering me. I'm reading my Bible. I was like, oh, sorry, I just want to tell you something. And uh, I think God wants me to sell our family business, and and go into the ministry, and she's like, she looks up, and she's like, yeah, he told me about six months ago, and puts her head back down and keeps reading the Bible. <laughs> and, and, and how do you tell your wife, um, honey, we're going out. Great, it's good. You and the boy are going to spend some time together. You and the young man are going to spend some time together. That's really great. What are you going to do? I'm going to kill our son. You could just picture her going, I know, I want to kill him sometimes too. Yeah, I... <laughs> I know how you feel. No, honey, honey, honey. God told me to kill him, to literally kill him. Do, 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 do. I mean, you're like, okay, you're losing your mind. And, and if you're a guest here or you're just watching online or you're listening on the radio in months to come or whatever like that, 
I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you. I, I just, maybe it's just the way God wired me, but I'm just going to be honest with you. I find God so confusing at times. And you would think that with having the, the luxury of being able to study the Bible so much throughout the week that I would begin to figure him out more. And some parts of him I, do fi- I have figured out a lot more. But other parts of him I'm just more and more confused about. And I find him not only confusing, just completely mind-boggling, perplexing at times. Dare I say, sometimes I find him a bit weird. I don't mean that in a, in a, in a blasphemous way. I'm just like, what are you... What are you doing? Like, what? You give them the kid, and then you say, kill the kid? Like, that seems to be a little bit of a contradiction. I know you don't contradict yourself. I know the skeptics say that you do. I know you don't, but it is confusing. For years, you tell these poor people, wait for the promise. And then as they're waiting, you let them make tons of mistakes. You let them learn tons of hard lessons. And then you finally deliver on the promise, and now you say, go destroy the promise. Now, Isaac's name, remember what his name means? It means laughter. This week it means smoke him. <laughs> Consume him. A burnt offering would be totally consumed. Now, so, right, right about now, some of you are thinking, this is why I avoid the Old Testament. I, I, I stick to Jesus. He's so much easier to understand. Really? Really? Let me just give you one example. John chapter 11, verse 5 and 6 says this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's their brother. So he's far away from them. So when he heard that he was sick, when the great miracle healer heard that Lazarus was sick, he no doubt rushed to the aid of his friend. No, it says he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And then if you know the story, what happens? Lazarus dies. Oh, Jesus is so much easier to figure out. He really is. He really is. Just imagine you're those sisters. What did they say? If you were here, they both said, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. Now here, let's go back to Abraham. I could just imagine how sadness would completely overwhelm him. Completely overwhelm him. That he could have, begin to have such doubt in the promises of God. And that doubt would begin to just overwhelm him and overwhelm his faith. And and here's the thing. With each word God says to him, the situation gets clearer to him and gets worse. So if you only knew up to here, if you had never read the story before, what do you think he's going to do? Let me ask you a harder question. What would you do? What would you do? I don't know. Again, I'm just being honest. Maybe you feel that way sometimes. I know I, know I do. You, you, you think you get this word from God. 
You think you get this picture in your mind of the way things are going to be. And then all of a sudden, just blows up. It's like a burnt offering. It's just, it's just gone. So, here's something I have learned. I've learned how to be confused. Some of you are like, not very helpful, Pastor Jim. We know how to be confused. We didn't come here to learn something like that or to be reminded of that. Here's something I have learned. When I am confused, when you are confused, any follower of Jesus is confused, keep walking by faith until there is clarity. Keep walking by faith until the darkness comes to light. The darkness always turns into the light. And if it doesn't see, if it's a long night and there's no clarity, keep walking by faith. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. I'm thinking he slept. (laughs) And saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So get the picture. They're walking, okay? They're going for three days, and they are walking. Nobody knows what's going on except for Abraham. They get to the foot of the mountain, and he says to the servants, I want you to wait here. Why? Because this is father and son business. That's why I loved one. So much of the cross is a mystery to us. You know why? Because it's father and son business. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father and son business. Verse 6, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on uh, Isaac, his son. So that means he's not a little boy, right? Some people say he's a teenager. Some Jewish tradition has him in his 30, about 30, about Jesus' age. Also tells us that he could easily stop his father. I mean, his father's very old now. I mean, I'm not, I don't mean to be critical. If you're 115 or 120 or 130, I don't mean to call you old, but you are. <laughs> so he's a very old man. And so, the, so he puts the wood on Isaac, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife. Typical dad, right? <laughs> you schlep the stuff, kid. I'll carry the easy stuff. Not that I've ever done that to my boys. Okay. And... The two of them went together. Why? Because it's father and son business. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood. Here the fire. Look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So, once again, we read, 
the two of them went together. It's almost like they're partners in what God is about to do. Interesting, Abe gets up and gets going. Same thing he did when he had to circumcise the boy. Same thing he had to do when it was time for Ishmael to leave. Same thing he does now. Now he's, he's no longer delaying. See how the maturing process is going on in Abraham? This guy has come a long way from, uh, she's not my wife, she's my sister. He's come a long way. But notice this, he doesn't say a word <coughs> to God. Remember, remember when God told them he was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah? He had a lot to say, didn't he? Abraham had a lot to say, but now, not here, not at all. Now, here's the thing that we have to remember. We're not asked to make an assumption that we might be making right now. We might make the assumption that there's no emotion in Abraham. We're not asked to make that assumption. We are asked to see something. We're asked to see his quiet obedience. And I think we're also asked to see the cost of faith. A faith that costs us nothing is no faith at all. So they walk for three brutal days. Put yourself in Abraham's mind. Put yourself in his head. Three brutal days. Is this another test? Was his obedience impulsive? Do you ever impulsively obey God? Say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Maybe God's giving you time to think about it. You sure you're, are you, you say you're all in. I'm going to give you three days to think about if you're all in. Maybe he's wondering, is Abraham going to get cold feet? I know none of you have never do this, done this. You come to church on Sundays and you watch online. I know other, the other people. But did you ever promise God you would do something and quit or not do it? Who said yes? Multiples of you said yes. They say, we're not all like you, Pastor Jim. We all didn't walk up to our wife and say, I'm going to go into the ministry. Yeah, that was 16 years of saying no. <laughs> 14, whatever it was. 13. That was a long time of saying no. Why is it important that Abraham is willing? Because when God gave his son for us on the cross, he gave us everything. And so when God asks us to give our life to him, what does he expect from us? He wants us to give him everything. Total trust. And do you know what develops total trust in us? Tests. They do. The tests teach us to walk by faith, not by our emotions. Now, that doesn't mean I don't support an emotional faith. I actually do. I, I would love to see us be, as a congregation, more emotional in our worship. But a life run strictly by emotion, not by faith and trust, is going to be all over the place. You see, 
and if again, if you're new to this Christian thing or you're watching online or you're whatever it is, you're just like, I, I, don't, I don't get, this is extreme. You see, for a lot of people, God is plan B. You know anybody like that? God's plan B. He's like, they're like, well, I'm going to live my life and you know, at the end it'll all work out. That's plan B. For some people, God is plan A. Well, for the most part, I'm following God and I'm cool with it. And, and I think he's cool with me. You know, it's all right. And, um, but, but that's fine. God does not want to be plan A or plan B. God wants to be the only plan. And these kinds of tests show us what plan he is in our lives. Those three days, man, wow. You see, the good news is when we're, when, we're, when we're ready to give everything to God, that's when we're really ready to receive for him. And that's how we are ready to walk and venture into the unknown future with confidence Remember what David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's a tested man. Again, for those three days, presumably only Abraham knew that, that Isaac was going to die. So for him, his son was as good as dead. How does he do it? How does he do it? I think the answers are, are found in verse 5. We will come back to you. They tell the young men, we will we'll be back. <laughs> Imagine he, some people think he's lying. Other people, he's not trying to get Isaac off the hunt. Uh, but no, I think, he's, I think he really believes it. And then in verse 8, he says, why? Why does he think he'll be back? Because he's, verse 8, he says, God will provide. God will provide. So let me ask you, church, in this crazy season that we're in right now, crazy, crazy, people watching online, afraid to, afraid to go out of the house maybe, afraid to go to church, not so sure what's up with, with our, you know, this and that. Do you believe we will come back? Do you believe God will provide? This might be a test. This might be a test. See, this is what's important. Abraham doesn't know how God is going to keep his promises, but he is confident God can keep his promises, and not only God can he keep them, God will keep them. When we come to the New Testament, 2,000 years later, as we read this, Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise, the promises offered up his only begotten son or his one and only son or his unique son, verse 18, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called your offspring. That's how the, the Israelites will come into being. Verse 19, look at this, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, 
from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So in those three days, he was in, in Abraham's eyes as good as dead, but Isaac ends up living. So they're beginning to walk. Isaac notices something. I like that. He's observant. Uh, Dad, I know you're getting old, maybe a little forgetful. Just one, just one little thing. Remember, we have lots of flocks back home. Like, we're rich. We're rich, Dad, you know? And, um, but we forgot to bring a lamb. We forgot to bring a lamb. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, <laughs> Abraham could have blurted it out. You ever blurt out some stuff and you're like, oh, I wish I could get that back. I mean, he could have blurted out. Son, tough question. Tough question, lamb. The lamb, hmm. I think it's you. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that, though. Instead, he throws the ball back into God's court. He says, God's going to provide the lamb. God's going to provide the lamb. In our way of thinking, it might be something more like, um, God's going to see to it. You know, son, God, he knows I've learned this about God's son. He knows. I don't know. He always has a plan. I, I don't always know what that plan is, but I always know it's a good plan. Again, that's going to help us venture into the unknown. That's going to help us face our future, no matter what it is, by knowing the goodness of God. And he's right here now. He's right at it right now. I mean, this, this talk about back up against the wall. I'm confident. And God and his promises. Remember what Abraham said to God back in Genesis 18.25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He actually believes it. He actually believes it. And now we come to verse 9. We begin to sort of move in slow motion. Um, after saying God will provide the lamb, it could also mean that God will choose the lamb. Verse 9 says, Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him, up, uh, laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now, it's easy to think that Abraham's being obedient here, and he is. What does it tell you about Isaac? He is willing. It tells you that he trusts his father who has undoubtedly taught him for years how we are to trust our heavenly father. And parents, that's all we can do is teach our kids how to trust our heavenly father and then continue even later in life to, to model that for them. Verse 10, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay. Some of you have heard him say, slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Me. 
You know, this seems odd in, in contemporary Christian culture, but sacrifice is part of the Christian life. And if you are a parent, this you know. It would be harder to put your kid on that slab than it would be to get on it yourself and tell him to off you. You know that. I can't even imagine what's going on in their heads right now. Verse 13, Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket. So he's in a, he's in a sticker bush. He's in, the thorns have him captured by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of, some of you have heard him say, in place of his son, and Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, the mount of the Lord, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Why? Because Isaac lived that day, the Israelites came into being. Very much like the Passover, they were saved by the blood of sacrifice. And where they are right now is near where Solomon built this temple and near, near where Jesus was crucified on the cross. So let's go. We're walking up the mountain with them. Verse 9, really, if we were going very slowly, has us on the edge of our seat. Will Abraham do it? Will he give up that which he loves the most? Will he give up the future of of the people of God. And so he grabs the knife. I don't know if he was doing this one quickly. Maybe sweating, maybe saying, God, come on, come on, now's a good time to show up. And the Lord spoke. He said, stop, now I know that you fear God. I think, I think fear, we... we not necessarily that he's afraid, like terrified, although we should be afraid of God. I think it's tied to his obedience. And, and again, I know this is so far into contemporary Christian culture. But when you study the scriptures, you realize not reading some best-selling Christian book that tells you everything's going to be fine and all God's going to do everything you want him to do. That's baloney. Obedience really tells you how much you love God. And I know that might be hard for some people to hear, but it's so very necessary. If you have the idea of, well, God's going to forgive all my sins, so it doesn't matter how I live, is that really loving? Let's say you're married and you know that your spouse is committed to be married no matter what. Do you show love to them by doing whatever you want? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, you know, just going to go disappear for a few weeks at a, on end, you know. Wine, women, and song, babe. You don't care. You love me. Thanks for staying loyal. You know, here, hold my wedding ring while I'm gone. No, our obedience really shows us how much we love God. Doesn't mean we don't have flaws. 
but it means that we're really dedicated to trying to do better with God's help. So the Lord miraculously provides a substitute, one that would die instead of or in the place of Isaac. Now we know this points us to what later on Moses will give us as the Old Testament sacrifices. So the people would put their hand on the animal and in effect their sins would be transferred from themselves to the animal and the animal would die in their place and their sins would be forgiven. All of which was pointing us to what? The cross of Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't, it's not like in the Old Testament, well, they just got an animal and said, oh, here you go, touched him and gone, oh, I'm good, let me go sin however I want. No, there's an element of faith there. Just like there must be an element of faith for us in Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. We must trust that he died in our place for our sins. There's an interesting verse in John chapter 8 that drove the religious leaders up the wall. John 8, 56, Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and, was, and, it, and, it, and he was glad. And the religious leader said to him, dude, you're not even 50. He lived over 2,000 years ago. But I think what Jesus may have been talking about in this verse is that Abraham saw right here how God forgives sins how he will forgive sins. This is what we call substitutionary atonement. A substitute atoned or paid for my sins and your sins. So the sins of the offerer were transferred to the animal. The sins of the person of faith, are, when we put our trust in Jesus, our sins are transferred to Jesus on the cross. And then these guys, the religious leaders are going nuts. What do you mean you and Abraham, Abraham saw you? He saw this. What are you, not even 50. And then what does Jesus say? Oh, oh, let me clarify for you. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the name of God. That is the name of God. Oh, by the way, the reason that happened is because I'm God. That's what got him killed. That's what got him killed. Verse 15, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn. So now God's making a divine oath, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and look at, just remember this for the future, uh, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. So God renews the promise he made to Abraham this time with a divine oath. Why? We well, says to Abraham, listen, I want you to know how serious this thing is. Because you trusted me, I'm going to do something I normally don't do. I'm going to give you a divine oath. You see, a lot of people think God is just obligated. 
God is obligated to do what he says. No more, no less. But here, Abraham grabs the promise by faith. He grabs it. And when you put your trust in Jesus, if you never have, you can today. That's what we do. We grab the promise of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven with God to be adopted as God's children. We grab it by faith. And where does it happen? On the mountain of the Lord. The place where we meet and worship God. The place where Solomon will build his temple. The place near where Jesus is crucified. You know, I think, I think these pictures of the mountain, and we just kind of think of mountaintops and valleys and stuff like that, I think it actually explains a lot about church to me or about what church is supposed to be. As we gather together, we hear, not, not the words of a man, we, we gather to hear from the Lord. We get to know him better as he shows us ourselves. We learn what he wants from us. We learn to obey. And as we worship and, and listening, you're listening right now and taking this as this is a form of worship. And as we pray and as we sing and as we talk with one another, we realize the Lord sees. It's like I, 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 sometimes I, I watch, particularly, you know, when people walking around after service back in the day, and I'd be like, shh, Jesus is walking among everybody. Don't you see him? There he is. There he is. See that person crying and see those four people around them praying for them? There he is. See that person who just got some really exciting news and people hugging them and they're all smiling and excited? Shh. There he is. We see that Jesus sees and we see that he provides for our souls. Now, if any of this story sounds familiar to you, how similar it is to Jesus who would come along some 2,000 plus years later when God the Father took his one and only beloved son. But he was not spared. God did not stop his sacrifice for sins. In a very similar way, the cross was father and son business. Instead of a ram caught in a thicket, Jesus Christ was the perfect lamb wearing a crown of thorns. And yes, he carried the wood, but the wood was the cross. Having been bloodied and beaten and nailed to a cross, it was Jesus who bled. For the scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no taking away of sins as Jesus washed away our sins. And what about the fire 
that day on the cross, the fire of God's wrath against sin was poured out. It was just dumped out all upon Jesus. Yet as we look at Jesus suffering on the cross, let us never, ever forget the sacrifice and pain of the Father watching his son die at the hands of the very people he came to save from their sins. Like Isaac, Jesus could have stopped it. He said, I could, have, I could call down 12 legions of angels, no problem. But Jesus had said, no one takes my life. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. But Jesus literally died, not figuratively. For three days, he was literally dead and rose from the dead to give, to offer forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who will put their trust in him because he was, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Abraham was right. God would provide the lamb. Again, this is one of those times when it's easy just to end here. But this is this random thing at the end of the chapter. Now, I know most of you, God bless you, you just read it and you're like, oh, well, whatever. I read it and I get so annoyed. I'm like, what is that doing there? Let me struggle through these names. Now, it came to pass after these things that it was told to Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah has borne children to your brother Nahor. So here's the, here's the brotherly rivalry. Abraham has one son. Let's see how Nahor is doing, his brother. Huz, his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother. Now, those would be two fun guys, Huz and Buzz. Where are you going? I'm going out with Huz and Buzz. No, you're not. <laughs> Huz's firstborn and Buzz's brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jilaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. Now, she's important because that's going to be Isaac's wife. So then you think, well, maybe that's the reason for this. Uh, these eight Milcah bore Nahor, Abraham's brother. So they have eight. His concubine, whose name was Ramah, also bore Teba, Gama. Thahash and Machah. So he's got tons of kids. So did you notice that after Abraham obeyed, I asked you to put one little sentence in your pocket. Did you notice that God added a promise? Now, from this text, I don't know, to me, clearly obedience matters to God. At the end of verse 17, he said, your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies, which means they're going to go to places and they're going to win battles. True, true. That happened a lot, but they lost a lot too. And they lost their own city too. So, so maybe it's not just talking about the temporal. Maybe it's talking about the eternal as well. Now, after years of struggling to have a son... We see all the kids that his brother Nahor had. Does that seem unfair to you? See, you won't say it because you're church people. You're churchified. You won't. Made up that word. 
But you know you think it's unfair when God's people suffer so much and people who seem to care nothing about God are so blessed. You know that irks you. You know it does. I can tell by the way you're looking at me right now. Somebody like, yeah, it does, it does, I admit it. Yet, Isaac is so important. You know, we said when Isaac was born, it was a miraculous birth. And for a follower of Jesus, that's our story. We need a miraculous birth. Remember, Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be miraculously born. How does that happen? Well, a couple of famous Bible verses. God did what he would not let Abraham do. He let his beloved son die for you. Isaac couldn't die for you, couldn't die for me. He was not perfect. He was not a perfect sacrifice. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. And so while it's easy to see Abraham as like God the Father and Isaac as like Jesus in the story, I began to think if I'm in the story, I'm probably one of the guys at the bottom of the mountain who just be in the way of everything. But besides that, if I'm one of the main characters in the story, who am I? And I realized that all of us are just, who are followers of Jesus, are just like Isaac. God the Father did for Isaac, and he will for anyone who puts their trust in him, what he wouldn't do for Jesus. He wouldn't let Isaac die, but he would let his son die on the cross, in your place, in my place, for our sins, and then rise from the dead to give us hope beyond the grave. So, we could venture into the unknown of death and we will possess all of the gates. It will all be ours. On earth, it may seem that other people are more blessed. On earth, things may seem worse for you. Things may seem bad at the moment for you. Things may seem very, very hard. But mark my words, better yet, mark God's words. It is going to be okay. You are going to be okay. Your future has been bought, paid for, and secured. Your eternity is a done deal. And that we have to keep in front of us as we go through this life.
a verse we come back to over and over and over again. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for all of us, there's your cross, how shall he not with him also freely give us, give his children, give all those who have put their trust in him, all things. Faith says God will give me, God will give you, God will give us all things. Maybe not now. The Abraham and Isaac had to go what? Go back and live life. But now they know what it's like to have all things. And then Romans 8, you go down to verse 39. It says, Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you know what your future is, when you know that nothing can separate you from the love of God, seriously, Keep that in front of you. Keep that on your mind. And you know what that will do? That will help you when the tests come. That will help prepare you for the tests. As you are, as I am, as we all are learning to fully trust God who provides. And that's where God has brought Abraham to. And that's what God is doing in your life. And that's what God is doing in my life. And maybe you're here today or you're watching online or you're hearing this message and you're thinking, but here's the deal, man. Pastor Jim, I am not a follower of Jesus. This is God's grand invitation to you. This is your moment. This is your day. This is your time to say, Jesus, I don't, I don't want to die for my own sins. I want to get off that altar of sacrifice, and I want you to be my sacrifice. And I'm going to put my trust in you. Forgive my sins. Give me eternal life. Bring me into your family. And let me face this unknown future unknown, knowing that you have a plan and a promise for me. And I can follow you and love you and be loved by you all the days of my life. Well, let's stand and pray.